You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We have a significant ministry here called Breakaway, and it takes place once a month on Friday night. It's for families who have children who face challenges that other children don't face. But once a year in the summer, we have a camp that we call Breakaway, and I have some pictures of it that I want to show to you, okay? And uh, this is a group of people who not only volunteer but participate in Breakaway Camp. Uh, I might not have those pictures. I might have been confused. I think I forgot to bring my pictures with me. But anyway, it is another... Here we go. Here's some pictures. I had a special guest, and that was awesome. Uh, The next picture is probably of the whole group of counselors. And then there's another picture of a volunteer with a child. And then there's one more picture of another volunteer with a child. This is the dream of Marsha Adams, and it's in her heart to provide good ministry to these families. And so as we talk all this month about getting involved in youth ministries, this is another place that you can volunteer. So you can write us a note today on a friendship card or you can contact Marsha Adams if you want to get involved. But it's a really good thing that Bethany First Church is doing. Um, We're in a series called The Father of Lies. It's not been a real fun series, I'll be honest with you. Jesus, in John 8, chapter 44, says, The devil is a liar. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and he is the father of lies. In fact, Jesus says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. And so I was, I was listening recently to an interview of a guy who is a leading New Testament scholar. His name is N.T. Wright. He is very widely read. And so in the interview, the person said to him, could I ask you some questions about the evil one, the devil? And so it was interesting to me that N.T. Wright says, I, I really don't like talking about it. Because he said, I believe when you talk about it, you put yourself at a place of danger. He said, I remember when I wrote the book, Evil and the Justice of God. My wife came to me and said, I don't think you should write this. And he said, through the process of writing the book, we had a lot of unpleasant experiences in our lives. And my wife came back to me and said, I told you, you shouldn't have written it. And when I listened to the interview, something about what he said resonated with me. I went to Annette and I said, I want to tell you what I listened to. And Annette kind of raised her eyebrows and she says, I understand what he's talking about. Over these last couple of months as I prepared to preach this series and over this last month as I preached it, I think to say that we've had some unpleasant things in our lives would be an understatement. So I have this friend who attends here that I confide in and I was talking to him about it and as I was talking to him he said, you know, I've never said this to anybody. In fact, I've never even said it to my wife. I've had thoughts about this, but I'm in this ministry that I believe God has me, and I believe that God is using me to make a difference, and I feel very called and committed to what I'm doing, but I've never said this to anybody, but I feel like in the last several weeks I've been under an attack. And then he said something to me that was really interesting. He said, there's two sides to that. On one hand, I hate it. 
But on the other hand, I want the enemy to know that I'm a major player in the game. On the other hand, I want to be seen as a game changer. And he said, do you remember the sermon that you preached about a year ago about the people who were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, although they were not followers of Christ? And the demon speaks to them and says, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but we have no idea who you are. You're not a game changer. You're not a factor in the game. And I said to him, do you remember the quote in that sermon that said, live your life in such a way, live your life in such a way that when your feet hit the floor in the morning, the devil says, oh no, he's awake. That's how I want to live my life. And T. Wright says, as I look back on that experience of writing evil and the justice of God, I wish, I wish, he said, I wish I would have had more people praying for me. So I'm blessed to have lots of people who pray for me. It's not uncommon that somebody says to me, Pastor Rick, I pray for you every morning. Or some little couple will come to me and say, Pastor Rick, I want you to know that we pray for you every night before we go to bed. But on Friday night, I was with some friends at dinner and I got a, I got a text and there was a video attached. And, and it, was, it was a little boy whose name is Sawyer Franks. He's only two years old. He's Tillany and Clay's son. And his mom and dad created these prayer sticks, so it's a stick with a picture of a person on the end. And when he draws a stick, he prays for the person on the stick. And so I just had to show you this. So would you turn your attention to the screen and just watch with me for a moment, little Sawyer, okay? I think you'll love it. Uh, Pastor Harvey. Let's pray for him. Okay. Thank you for... uh, Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Harvey. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you for Pastor Harvey. Amen. Amen. That is the longest I've ever seen Sawyer sit still. He is all boy and he's full of life. But thank you for praying for me. I don't know, I don't know how you feel so far about what I've said. I've got a feeling some there's opinions about it. But in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to grab a Bible and open it, that's where we're going to be, okay? Ephesians chapter 6. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So this strength doesn't come from you, it comes from outside yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power and put on the full armor of God. Why? Why, Paul, are you saying be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? And why should we put on the full armor of God? And Paul says, so that, so that you can stand up against, stand up against what, Paul? What are you wanting us to stand up against? Why should we be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? And why should we be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God? What do you want us to stand up against? He says, so you can stand up against the devil's schemes. The word that we translate schemes, we only find there in the whole New Testament. The word is methodia. It means standing firm against his deceitful ways. 
against his craft, against his trickery. And I got a feeling that there's people in the room looking at me saying, I know what it means to be duped by the enemy. I know all about his trickery. I know all about his deceitful ways. I know all about his craft. It was a time in my life when I fell for it. And I suffered the consequences. So let me, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll start with verse 10, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And here are the words on the screen for you. So finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because you understand, don't you? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But our struggle is against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from what? That comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. Pray, people, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, and request, with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And Paul even says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So I pray for God's blessings on the reading of his word. Amen. Chris mentioned a while ago being in Swaziland, and um, we have always had an on-site coordinator team in Swaziland, usually a couple. And so Dell and Emmeline German are there now, but, but our on-site coordinators for this past year have just returned. And when I say they have just returned, I mean they have just gotten off a plane about an hour ago. And they are here this morning, and so I want you to express your gratitude and welcome home, would you, as they come to stand beside me, Seth and Kaylee Carter. Well, you know, I, I remember making that trip back from Swaziland, and the last thing I wanted to do was go where anybody was. I wanted to go to bed. 
My goodness, that was 20 hours or so of travel, and, and here you are. The Lord bless you in every way. <laughs> so you took a year uh, of your lives, and you said, we'll go there and we will serve. And I think as a church this morning, we just, we just wanted to get to say thank you. We did not twist their arm to be here, though. Well, this was really your desire to come. And Thursday, you guys are moving to Nashville, Tennessee, another great town. And uh, you'll be working at Trevecca Nazarene University, another great university. And uh, we're grateful that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for letting us express gratitude. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> one, one of Seth and Kaylee's last tasks was to um, prepare the new on-site coordinators to, uh, to be ready to... To serve for the next year. And so their names are Dell and Emla German, and while Seth and Kaylee are very young, <coughs> Dell and Emlyn are not. And so, and so Dell loves to write, and, and so he, he's writing a blog and, blog, and you can read it, Germans in Swaziland, I think is the blog.com. And, um, and I just wanted to read a little bit to you that he wrote, just a couple of paragraphs. He says, many times back home, uh, I heard Swaziland will break your heart. In the expressionless face of an eight-year-old AIDS patient, I saw today why people will say Swaziland will break your heart. Our team of eight drove a long way over rutted dirt roads through the African bush, past towns where poverty is literally everywhere. And there in the most remote place stood an African woman waiting for us to come. She was a Nazarene volunteer, caregiver. One of the women who is trained to assist the suffering and dying people living alone in one-room houses sleeping on floor mats. This angel of mercy knew which bumpy dirt road would take us to our destination. The little girl whose name I do not know, I will never I will never forget. Completely helpless, totally dependent on others, our hopeless-looking eight-year-old sat sadly looking straight ahead. This little girl who should have been playing jump rope or riding a bicycle had no expression on her face. Her face was pitifully blank and disinterested in anything around her. I wish, I wish everyone at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene could have seen Dr. Paul Rothwell tenderly, lovingly, compassionately giving her free medical care in a home visit like none other I've ever seen before. But nothing he did could get this child to smile. Not the slightest flicker or emotion ever crept across her blank face. Driving away, Dr. Rothwell said she probably contracted AIDS from a rape. A superstition here in Swaziland is that having sex with a virgin will cure AIDS. She lives with her grandmother. A story told over and over again in Swaziland, when the parents die of AIDS, grandparents take in the child. But when the grandmother dies, the child is left alone. So I read on Monday Dale's blog. Open my Bible to the book of Ephesians, preparing to preach to you this morning. 
And I read where Paul says, you understand it, don't you? Don't you get it? Don't you understand it? Our struggle, this battle that we're in? It's not against flesh and blood, right? You get that? But this battle is against the rulers and the powers and the authorities of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. You understand that, right? You understand why for the last seven years your church has gone to Swaziland. Don't you understand? You understand it's because the battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. And this little eight-year-old girl is a victim. You know, you may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking with me as I'm talking and you may be trying to kind of put all of this together in your head. I, I, I read these words and I'm, and I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself where Paul is and he's not been talking about spiritual warfare, nothing, nothing of the sorts. He's been talking about moms and dads, you know, husbands love your wives, kids obey your parents, parents don't exasperate your children, slaves obey your masters. He's not been going this direction at all. And then all of a sudden, in verse 10, he just takes this left turn. Do you remember where Paul was when he writes this letter to the Ephesians? Anybody know? He was in prison. And we read that he was more than likely not only guarded by a Roman soldier, but most of the time probably chained to a Roman soldier. So here's Paul. He's writing this church in Ephesus and he's trying to give them good advice about living this Christian life and being strong in the Lord and all these things and how do you function as a family. And so he's writing and, and then in my mind I'm wondering if he looks over and he notices the Roman soldier. And he sees the breastplate. And he sees the sword. And he begins to think he's ready for battle. And then in Paul's mind he realizes we're in a battle. We're involved in a struggle. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, he thinks, as he writes. Our battle. Our battle is against the authorities and the powers and the rulers of this dark world. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. As he begins to write, he begins to look at the soldier. And he begins to talk about the fact that we need a belt and we need a breastplate. And we need our feet properly fit. And we need a sword. But it doesn't look like his equipment. It looks very different. You, you, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't want to battle. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't want to be in a fight. I don't want to be armed. I don't want any of this stuff you're talking about. I don't even like you talking about it. I'm not interested. I don't want to get involved. I'm not getting involved. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to stand here and tell you the Bible says you have an enemy. And the Bible tells you who the enemy is. Your, your enemy, the devil. I'm sorry to be the one that tells you that we have a battle, we have a struggle. We're involved every day in our lives. 
Your struggle, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. And to ignore the fact that you're in a battle doesn't make you any more effective in the battle. So Paul says, let me give you some advice. You should suit up. You should be prepared. You should get ready for war. Because it's coming. I I think about how absurd it would be. I've been, you know, just keeping up a little bit and, and just seeing what's going on in the pro football world. And, you know, in a few weeks they'll be playing preseason games and... Can you imagine Monday night football comes along and you're pretty excited about it and you pop back in your chair and you got some snacks and you're ready for the first night of Monday night football and one of the teams show up with no pads, no helmets, no uniform. They're just there in street clothes. Number one, it would never happen. But can you imagine what the commentators would say if it did? These men are committing suicide. They may never recover from this. They'll be injured. And they certainly won't win a game. Who would go to a contest like that not not prepared, not armed, not ready? And it's kind of like us. Who want to just say, I I don't like any of that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. I'm just going in my street clothes. So Paul says, no, you can't can't do that. You've got to suit up. You've got to get ready. You've got to be prepared. And so, so he begins kind of working down as he looks over at the soldier. In my mind, that's what happens. He begins kind of working through this working through this process and and he talks about you put on this belt of truth why why does he start there why why is it important this this revealed word of god why is it that you understand that you know the truth because he says the devil is a liar (laughs) you got to know the truth because somebody's going to be lying to you all the time I always tell people that when I get up in the morning and I open my Bible and I, and I get a hold of the Word of God, you know what I'm doing? I'm reminding myself of the truth. Because every day the devil lies to me. And the reason I get up in the morning and I get the Word is because I've got to remind myself this is the truth. Not what I heard all day yesterday. So get the belt of truth. I preached last Sunday night here and I talked a little bit about idioms, sayings that we use that if someone was new to our language or this country, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what we're talking about. We, we say things like, um, I remember I was at a conference and, I, and I, I got to the conference early the next morning. We'd had the conference day before and the person who got up said, I hope you slept fast. And I knew what they meant, but I began to wonder where did that come from, you know? doesn't mean when you lay down and go to bed, I hope you go to sleep really fast so you can get more sleep. But where does the idea of sleeping fast come from? It's actually a nautical term years ago. In the shipping world, when things were tied, you tied them fast, meaning tight. But what does that have to do with sleeping? Because there was a day when a bed was made of a frame and mostly a feather mattress. 
But what held the mattress up? And they would tie ropes across the frame, back and forth. The frame was elevated, but they had to have something to put the mattress on. And they would tie ropes. If the ropes were tied tight, if they were fast, then you got a better night's sleep because your bed wasn't swaying in the middle. You didn't just roll to the middle. Some of you laughed because you said, we had a mattress like that once. (laughs) And so if the ropes were tied fast, you slept fast. Lots of idioms. You've heard this one. He found a chink in my armor. What does that mean? For years I've watched sports and I've heard them talk about finding a chink in someone's armor. It's finding a break in your armor. It's finding a place of vulnerability. It's finding a weak spot. That's what the enemy is looking for. He's looking for your weak spot. You might say, Rick, I have one. I've got a crack in my armor. I've got a weak spot. That's what he looks for. And if he can get you at your weak spot, if he can get you to sin, if he can get you to give in, then he'll work at that. And so Paul understands that very well in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Only two chapters earlier, he says, don't, don't lie. Don't speak falsehood, okay? Don't steal from one another. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he makes this list, and finally he just says it. Okay, I'll just say it. Don't give the devil a foothold. Those are his words. Don't let him in. Don't let him find the weak spot. Don't let him get in. Wear the breastplate, a breastplate of what? Righteousness. It's His righteousness in you. The righteousness of the Father in you. You can't be good on your own. Take on His righteousness. Let Him make you righteous. And then He just kind of goes on. This feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You know, I've got a peace in my heart even though I'm in battle today. I've got a deep peace in my heart. God is with me. Take on the shield of faith. That's your shield. It's faith. I'm trusting in God. I, I'm, not, I'm not worried this morning. I'm not, I'm not messed up in my head. I'm not anxious. Anything like that. I've got a shield and my shield is faith. I trust God in this battle, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What did Jesus do when He was tempted by the devil? He quotes Scripture to him. There's a catch to all that. To quote the Scripture, you've got to know the Scripture. To quote the Word, you've got to be into the Word. To be able to give Him the Word, you've got to know the Word. You've got to have it in your heart. And then He says, pray, pray, people of God, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray consistently. Pray for others. Pray. You've got to pray. And so, if you say to me, Rick, I'm not winning, man. The devil has got my number. He is wearing me out. I'm giving in. I'm messing up. I'm blowing it. You know, I just want to say, are you trusting his righteousness? Do you believe God can help you through? Are you in the Word? Are you spending time in prayer? And if you say, no, 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 no. I don't know what to do for you.
It's like going onto a football field without a uniform or a helmet or pads. You're going to battle unarmed. No way you can win. I got a text on Father's Day early on Sunday morning from a guy whose name is Marty. We met Marty about, what, seven years ago now. Here's the way I met Marty. I get a phone call from his brother-in-law who says, I have a brother-in-law named Marty, and he's a mess. And drugs have just kind of worn him out. And he's been in trouble over and over again. And this last time, he didn't do any time. He got the option of going to a halfway house. That's where he is now. But he called me and said that he's given his life to the Lord. Never heard him say that before. And that he wants three of us to come and visit him. I'm one of them. He named another guy. And he said he wanted me to bring Pastor Rick. The catch was, I didn't know Marty. Marty, I guess, decided if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need a pastor in my life. Since you've got one, just bring him with you. I said, well, let's go see him. And so we went down, the three of us, to see Marty. And Marty talked about how that Jesus had come into his heart and had forgiven him of his sin. Marty said, I'm going to follow him with my life. His brother-in-law had heard statements of moving in a positive direction before, and I don't think he was completely convinced. But you know, when Marty graduated from that program, he came to church on Sunday. And he came back the next Sunday and the next Sunday, and he came for the next five years till I left there, still going to that church. When I get around somebody who's struggling with an, with an addiction, you know, I don't, I don't look at that person and find hopelessness. I find hope in Jesus. I've watched what God has done for Marty. I, I, I watch what God does for others. You, you understand Jesus changes people. You understand that, right? Marty, Marty got good people surrounding him. He got into the Word. I mean, he got into the Word. He became a person of prayer. Marty began to say, if I'm going to be good, I can't be good. I have to trust in His righteousness if I'm going to be good. And he had to come to this place in his life and said, the only way I'm going to make it is if God brings me through this. My trust is in Him. It's not in what I can do. Marty suited up. He understood battle. And he puts on the full armor of God. <laughs> and in the text he sent me on Father's Day, he says, By God's grace, I am no longer defined by my destructive past. That's not who I am anymore. That's not what defines me. I'm new in Christ Jesus. I picked up a book recently that I'd read years ago when I started thumbing through it. I went to this place where I'd highlighted, and a quote that I'd highlighted from John Eldridge, Waking the Dead, said, The story of your life is the story of an assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could become and fears it. The story of your life is the story of an endless Assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could become. And he fears it. I'm not leaving you this morning at the end of this series by saying, I don't know what you do. I mean, 
the devil's a bad guy and he's after you and you better run. No. No, we already know that Satan has been defeated and will one day be destroyed. But we also know that the Lord Jesus is on our side. And we also know that he is greater than he who is in the world. And Paul gives us good biblical instruction that says, suit up for battle. Get into the Word of God and get into prayer and and make sure that your faith is resting on Jesus and your trust is in Him and trust Him for righteousness. This is a battle that you can win with Jesus. You're not hopeless. The the last three years, we we were at Springdale in Cincinnati. Josh Cobb, who was raised here, uh, attended our church, and, and Josh is in town, and I called him and said, would you, would you sing for us? And he said, I'd be happy to. You guys want to come up? And he said, what are, you, what are you preaching about? And I said, well, it's hard stuff. It's, I don't know if we'll find a song that works. And I told him what I've been preaching about, and he says to me, uh, let me pray about it. Let me get back to you. And so he sent me a text, and he said, what do you think about this? It's an old song I probably haven't heard maybe since I was maybe in my 20s. Listen to the words. I think they're perfect. Let let God speak to you through Josh this morning as he sings. When you're up against a struggle It shatters all your dreams And your hopes are cruelly crushed By Satan's manifested schemes And you feel the urge within you To submit to earthly fear Don't let the faith you're standing in Seem to disappear The chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you they'll drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Now Satan is a liar and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself. Children of the King. Now Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we are paupers. When he knows himself, we're children of the King. So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. We know that Jesus Christ is risen, so the world. Already done, praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. 
stand together and Josh lead us in that again just as a, a way of embracing our faith in the Lord Jesus against the enemy so let's sing it together before we go can we I will praise him If you're fighting the enemy, uh, this is the way that we fight. Uh, we praise. And so if it's a sickness, if it's a kid you're praying for, if you're losing the battle to temptation, whatever it is this morning, we'll sing again. And uh, if you want to come and join us here at the altar, I want you to feel the freedom. I don't want you to feel like we're trying to rush you out a door. We can hang out here for a long time today if you need to. Let's sing it one more time, Josh, could we? I will praise you.
So, Father, I know that in these moments you hear us pray. And I know you're working powerfully in people's lives and in their hearts. And I pray, Lord, this morning for just stories of victory, stories of peace, stories of hope, stories of deliverance. you do, we will be very careful and very quick to say God did it. We will give you praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please leave quietly as you go today. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.